2014, there was a British man by the name of Damien Lowe. He got kidnapped just outside of London. And the kidnappers, to show just how serious they were about getting the, the ransom that they were demanding, decided to chop off one of Damien Lowe's five fingers. Now, I don't know if they were just showing some compassion to this guy or not, but they actually gave him the choice of which one of your five fingers do you want us to cut off because we're going to mail it to your relatives so they know we're serious about getting this money that we want. Now, they only gave him a couple seconds to make the determination of which of his five fingers was going to get cut off. Now, I want you to think about if you had that choice, which one would you choose? Now, keep in mind, this is a very important decision because you're going to live without it for the rest of your life. And so they only gave him a couple seconds to make his choice. And I'm going to do the same thing for you. Go ahead and turn to the person sitting next to you or there online. Go ahead and type it in the chat. Out of your five fingers, which one would you choose to have cut off? Go ahead and talk about it real quick. Share it with one another. Again, type it in there on the chat. Which one of the five would you choose? Now, here's the deal. Pay attention. Hand surgeons tell us there's actually a correct answer. Do you want to know which one it is? Yes? You're going to have to wait to the end of the message. <laughs> I bring all this up because today is part two of our series that we're doing called The Leader. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at how Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived and what was his model of leadership. And so it's very important that we study God's word, that we look to see how did Jesus lead if, if we want to be the best leaders we can be. Because what we discovered last week is that we're all leaders because we all have what? We all have, who remembers? We all have influence. We all influence in some way, every single one of us. And so we've got to look to see how did Jesus lead other people. And so as we continue the, the series today, if last week was all about the heart of why do we want to lead, today is more about the hands. And that's why I brought up the which finger would you have cut off. This is about the hands, of, of how important the hands truly are. Of what should the hands of a leader really be doing. So that's what we're going to talk about here today. And we'll start with a huge myth because I think a lot of people, they say, you know what, People that are successful, you know, whether it's in parenting or it's in your marriage, maybe it's at your company, maybe you're an actor or a singer or an athlete, uh, people that are successful, our, our tendency is to look at them and go, wow, they are super talented or they're super smart. Look at where they got themselves to. But the reason I say that, that that's a myth it's because nobody gets themselves anywhere by themselves. The truth is, the only way you can become successful is with the help of others. And so if you see a successful parent somewhere, I guarantee you there are grandparents, there are neighbors, there's friends, there's coaches, there's teachers that have come alongside and helped those parents in becoming successful parents. For every great athlete that is out there, like the, the superstar athlete, there's a team that's behind them that helped them to become a superstar athlete. For every great singer that's out there, there's a band that backs them up and helps them. I mean, even those that we would call like solo acts, like Bruce Springsteen, he still had the E Street Band. 
prince. He had the revolution. He has the new power generation later on. So even these great solo acts still had these phenomenal, phenomenal bands that backed them up. My point is simply this, and I put it on your outline. Teams accomplish more than individuals. Again, teams accomplish more than individuals. This applies even to Jesus. Again, Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. Jesus gives the greatest leadership model of all time. And if there was ever anybody in all of human history that could have said, you know what, I'm going to do this by myself, it would have been Jesus. Keep in mind, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus has every gift and skill and talent and ability known to mankind. So again, if anybody could have said, I'm just going to do all this on my own, it would have been Jesus. But even Jesus said, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do with a team of people. Here's my point. I put it on your outline. If Jesus needed a team to accomplish great things, then so do I. Now, to see how this all played out, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. Again, Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to hang out today. Uh, those of you that are online, there is a little link there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen that will take you to talk notes, and that's going to take you to everything I'm going to look at today. Those of you that are live here in the room, if you go to our website, exponential.church, you're able to access the talk notes there as well. Now, let me give you a little bit of context of Luke 6 here. Jesus, he lives in total 33, and about 33 and a half years is when he was uh, crucified and then ultimately then returns back to, to heaven after his resurrection. But the first 30 years of his life are what we would call the preparation period. We know very little about that time. And so really most of what the, the New Testament and the, the Gospels are about is this three and a half year period where Jesus is really doing his public ministry. Now, I think the tendency in our mind is we think, oh, well, Jesus chose his 12 disciples at the very beginning of that three-and-a-half-year period. And the answer to that is actually he didn't. He didn't do that. And so when we get here to, to Luke chapter 6, we're about 18 months into the public ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus... He's been going around, he's started to do some miracles, and he has a large following of people that are coming after him. These people are all becoming his disciples. At this point, he has hundreds, if not thousands of people that he said, hey, come and follow me. Be my disciple, be my student. And so he's got all these people, they're, they're following after him. That's where we'll uh, pick up the story then. What Jesus has just done is he, he's done this, this miracle. He's healed a man on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees are all bent out of shape. We get to Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and we read that one day soon afterwards, in other words, right after this miracle, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God how long? He prayed to God, what's it say? He prayed to God all night. Now, let me be honest, I have never, ever Prayed all night long. Anybody prayed all night long? Any like really spiritual people here? Okay, we're all in the same boat then. None of us have prayed all night long. Now I've gotten like stayed up late into the night to pray. I've gotten up during the middle of the night to pray. I've gotten up early and prayed, but never ever have prayed all night long. The truth is, this is the only time we have recorded that Jesus prayed all night long. Now, he may have done it other times, but there's only one time that it's recorded that Jesus prayed all night long. It's this story right here. Even Jesus' famous prayer in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, that wasn't even all night long. 
So only one time that he prays all night long. So if he's only doing it once, that must mean that what he's praying about is pretty important, right? And so what was it that he was praying about? Well, we read it in the next verse, verse 13. At daybreak, he called together who? He called together all of his disciples. Again, hundreds, if not thousands. He calls all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Again, keep in mind, this is about 18 months into Jesus' public ministry. That now he appoints 12 of them to be his apostles, to be his team. Again, Jesus isn't going to do this by himself. He knows he needs some leaders to lead all the people. It can't just be him. It's got to be a group of people that's going to lead all the people. And even within the 12, then there are three, Peter, James, and John, that became the leader then of those leaders. Jesus knows that it's going to take a team. So what can we learn about leadership from Jesus here? And what can we learn about teams and why they're so important? Well, I believe there's three things that we can learn. So number one there on your outline is this. To build a great team like Jesus, I must be careful with whom I surround myself with. How long did Jesus pray? All night long. How long had he been spending with these people who were becoming his disciples? 18 months. So this is a very, very important thing. Who am I going to surround myself with? Who is going to be my official team in order to accomplish what it is that I want to accomplish? Last week, we talked about how leadership is influence. And so I don't care if you're a single mom. I don't care if you're a student, if you're a business leader, if you're a teenager. Few things are going to be as important in your life as who you surround yourself with. Who is it that you're allowing to be a part of your team? I've said this to you in the past. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who you surround yourself with is so, so important. If you ever want to get good things done, amazing things done, then you're going to need to surround yourself with a good team of people. People that are all on the same page. Because again, you cannot do it alone. I don't care what you're doing. You cannot do it alone. Now, I'll use myself as an example. You know, here at Exponential, I'm the, the lead pastor, the, the, the primary leader. But I got to thinking about it of what, what is it that as a lead pastor, I have to be an expert at? So I made a list of, of things. I don't even have it on my normal sheet. I had to get another sheet, just a list. Here's the things I need to be an expert at as a pastor. I have to be a vision caster, a theologian, a preacher of God's word, a teacher of God's word. I have to be a manager, a team builder, a recruiter, a writer. I have to be creative in advertising, social media, web design, music, graphic design, video editing, sound mixing, lighting, camera shots, stage designs. I have to be a counselor, a conflict arbitrator. I have to know things about missions. I have to be an expert in finances, legal issues, real estate, construction, how to be a landlord for our tenants next door here. I have to know everything about how do you reach students, how do you reach young kids, how do you reach college-age kids, how do you reach young adults, middle-aged adults, senior adults, how do you help those that are in addiction, how do you help those that have special needs. I have to be an expert in food service, hospitality, funerals, weddings, crisis management, human resources, security, and I'm sure there's some other things that I've missed. In addition, I want to be a great husband. I want to be an amazing friend. And of course, I want to be a world-class bodybuilder. 
Now, obviously, one of those things on the list, I'm neglecting. Do I want some? <laughs> For those of you online, take one guess. Who just said, do you want some help in bodybuilding? <laughs> one, one guess. One, one guess. <laughs> Here's the truth. I'm probably not an expert in any of those things that are on my list. Maybe one, maybe two. The point is, even though I'm the primary leader and these are the responsibilities, I can't be an expert in all of it. What does it take? It takes a team of people. That's why Jesus said that the the church is the body coming together. It's not about one person. I've said this to you in the past, when it comes to the the body of Christ, I'm just the big mouth, basically. Everybody else has to be a part of the body, doing your part of the list, coming alongside. And see, this applies to everything in life that you do as well, that you are being called to be a leader in. You can't do it on your own. You're going to need a team of people to help whatever your list is that you need to be an expert in. You're not going to be an expert in everything. You need other people coming alongside of you. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many conferences you've been to. I don't care how many podcasts you're subscribed to. It doesn't matter. You can't do it alone. You need a team of people. And so, again, point number one, to build a great team like Jesus, I must be careful with whom I surround myself with. Jesus thought this was so important. He took all night long to pray about it. Number two, to build a great team like Jesus, I must prioritize teamwork over talent every time. Again, to build a great team like Jesus, I must prioritize teamwork over talent every time. Now, the truth is most leaders get this one backwards. They think, you know what? I want the smartest, the most talented, the most athletic, the most skilled people to be a part of my team. But Jesus did the exact opposite. He said, no, the most important thing I want is people that are team-oriented. That's what's important to me. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't try to find talented people, creative people, like super smart people? Yeah, you still want those people on your team, but what I'm saying is this. If you have the choice between a very talented but yet prima donna type of person, but then somebody else who's a team-oriented person, take the team-oriented person every single time. Team-oriented person every single time single time. That's what Jesus did. As you look at this group of 12 people that he selected, they are incredibly ordinary. Ordinary. Uneducated fishermen. A tax collector who was despised by everybody. A zealot who was basically considered a terrorist in his day and time. That's the team that Jesus chose. Not the Pharisees, the the super religious, the super smart. He didn't choose people like that. No, he chose ordinary, everyday people. And what's amazing about this group of people that work together as a team is that they ended up changing the world. One of my favorite verses out of all scriptures in Acts 4.13, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and, and now this group of 12, they are starting to change the world And they get called in before the the ruling council in in Acts 14. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And I shared this with you before. The reason this is one of my favorite verses is because there where it says that they are ordinary, unschooled men, it's one actual Greek word there, and that Greek word is idiotes. Guess which English word we get from idiotes. They're basically going, wow, this group that Jesus pulled together as his team, they're a bunch of idiots. But yet these idiots, they ended up changing the world. Now, the question is, why would Jesus choose them as a group instead of the talented people? It's because he recognized they would be team players and that together they would be better than any one of them would be individually. And what's interesting now is that research from Harvard and, and MIT is starting to catch up to what Jesus already knew 2,000 years ago. There, there are studies that are being done about this. Of Is it better to have individuals that are super smart and super talented, or is it better to have a team of people? In fact, at MIT, they did a study, and they pulled together 152 teams, okay? 152 teams of people. And how did they select who was going to be on each team? Well, they did an IQ test for all of them. And they took half of the people, like the super smart people, the ones with the highest IQ, and they said, all right, you're going to be a part of these teams over here. 76 teams were made up of the super smart people. And then 76, uh, 76 teams were made up of the people that were left over. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So you got 76 teams, really, really, really smart people, 76 teams of, eh, average, ordinary, idiotes. And what they did is they gave all 152 of these teams the exact same challenging project. And guess what? Here's the results. The ones that were teams made up of ordinary people far, far, far outperformed the super talented people. In fact, the ones that were actually like the highest IQs and they had been put together, like the top three, four, five, six people with the highest IQs, they actually performed the worst in the challenge. It's not about super smart, super talented, super athletic. It's about are you a team player or not? And I mean, this kind of blows our minds, doesn't it? Because we think that if I just assemble the super talented people into a team, then I'm guaranteed success. But again, whether it's in business or music or athletics, it doesn't really matter. These studies have shown that long term, for the most part, dream teams very, very rarely work out. It's average people with average talent working together as a team that often accomplish more than these super talented groups. Number three, then. To build a great team like Jesus, I must prioritize investing in people and then empowering them to use their gifts. Jesus was a master not just in people development, but then in empowering people and releasing them to go out and do what it is that he had trained them to do. Matthew, he actually tells the same story that we looked at here in Luke uh, about Jesus. You know, he's praying all night long and he's calling the twelve. But he adds one extra little detail. In Matthew 10, 1, we read this. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them what? He gave them, what's it say? He gave them authority. He gives them authority. Authority means to be given the power to act. And that's what you need to do for the people you lead. You need to give them the power to not just act, but to 
to, to go out and make decisions on their own. See, every, every decision and every action doesn't need to be done by you. And Jesus modeled this perfectly in the feeding of the 5,000. Keep in mind, it wasn't just 5,000 people. It was actually 5,000 men plus then the women and children. And Jesus doesn't say to this group of probably, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 people, he doesn't say, everybody come to me and I'm going to feed you. No, what does Jesus do? He takes the five loaves, he takes the two fish, he blesses them, and then he empowers his disciples. He gives them the authority. Now you go out and you do the miracle. Notice as you read the, the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle does not take place in the hands of Jesus. The miracle takes place as they go out with those baskets, and then is when it starts to multiply. And that's what you need to do for, for your team, is give them the authority, empower them to go out and to do what it is that you've trained them what to do. That's why you hear me say all the time here at Exponential that, look, you do not need Gilbert's permission to do anything. You are the ministers of Exponential. You don't need to ask me. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church, and we're all a part of Jesus' church. I have a role to play, and yes, my role is a little bit different because I am the primary vision caster, and sort of here's the, the broad umbrella that we need to sort of stay within in order to, to fulfill the vision that God has given for us. But within that boundary, you minister, you do what God has called you to do. You don't need my permission because, again, Jesus has already called you to be his minister. He's already called you to be his disciple. He's already given you the authority to go out and, and do ministry. That's why I say to you all the time, you are full-time ministers of the gospel of Christ. You, you're the ministers of Exponential. I am the administer of Exponential. I'm just making sure that it's all cohesively sort of working together. So whatever it is God is calling you to do, do it. Now again, in that same way, you need to do that in your own leadership. You can't do everything on your own. I talked about that with, with my list. I can't do everything on my own. That's why you need to be the ministers. You need to do these things. Not me. But again, in, in your own life, whatever God is calling you to lead and do, you've got to have a team of people, and you train them up, and then you send them out. If everything is dependent on you, you're never going to get anything done. John Maxwell, who's a, a very famous leadership guru, he wrote this once. He said, one is too small a number to ever achieve greatness. One is too small of a number to ever achieve greatness. All right, so let's get back to how I started the message because you're like, come on, can we know which finger to chop off? Again, for those of you that maybe came in late or you're tuning in late, we're talking about if you had the choice of just one of your five fingers to get chopped off, like Damien Lowe was asked there in 2014 in London, which one would you choose? Now, let, let's go ahead and go through. How many of you chose your thumb? Anybody choose your thumb to, to chop off? Any raise, nobody raising your hand. Anybody choose your index finger, your pointer finger? Nobody? I won't hold it up. 
<laughs> Anybody your middle finger? You All right, one person chose the middle finger. Anybody your ring finger? All right, a couple ring fingers. Who chose pinky? All right, lots of hands going up for pinky. I'm sure that's what uh, people online are doing as well. All right, um, that, that is the most common one that, that people choose. Another question for you. Out of the five fingers, which one do we most commonly associate with leadership? If you had to say one of them, we would associate with the term leadership. Which one would it be? Hold it up. Yeah. Yeah, the index finger, the pointer finger. I'm number one. I'm in charge. And you do this, and you do that, and you do this. We think that leadership is I direct people to do things. You and you and you. All right. Out of the five, which one do the hand surgeons and experts say you should chop off? It's not the pinky. Do you know that 35% of all the strength that you have in your hand is from your pinky? So you don't chop that one off. You don't chop off, yeah, <laughs> that's easier said than that. Uh, you don't chop off the uh, ring finger and the middle finger either. Those, uh, those two, those two have a ligament that ties them together, and a lot of your strength comes from those as well. You know which one you chop off? This one, the index finger, the pointer finger. There is very little that your index finger does that your middle finger can't do. Now, which one did, like, nobody, as I polled you, which of the five did none of you say should get chopped off? None of you said the thumb. Why? Because you realize how important your thumb is. Of just how powerful it is. And how much you need it. And so if you had to say that one of them is actually the leader of your hand, you wouldn't say it's this one, which is the one that we associate. We would actually say it's the thumb. In fact, the thumb is so... Uh, powerful, and it is so needed that if you're in an accident and your thumb gets severed off, what they'll do is they'll actually amputate then your index finger and put it in place of your thumb. That's how important it is. So again, the thumb is the actual leader, not the index finger. And here's the reason that the thumb is so powerful. The thumb is the only one of your fingers that's designed to work with every single one of your other fingers. In other words, your thumb is the ultimate teammate. Your thumb is the one that realizes that we're better together than we are by ourselves. So what I'm saying to you today as we're talking about leadership is chop this off. Now, I'm being figurative here. Don't literally go home and go, well, pastor said to chop off. The <laughs> Don't do that. What I'm saying is, get rid of this, that I'm number one. Remember last week what the message was all about? Servant leadership. That we aren't here to be served as leaders. We are here to serve other people. So get rid of this and start being like the thumb. Start working together with a team because together you'll accomplish even more. And I don't care what you're being called to do, where you're called to leadership. Parents, let me say this to you. 
don't try to raise your kids alone. It takes a team of people to do that. If you want a great marriage, don't do it just husband and wife. You need a life group. You need to be a part of a life group where you have other people that are helping you in your marriage. You want a better company? Then you got to raise up a team of people. Raise up a team. You're going, but Gilbert, in my work, I'm not the leader. Well, then let me ask you this question. Are you being a good teammate at work? Are you helping the leader? Because what's going to happen is if you're a good teammate at work, that's going to influence the rest of your coworkers. You're going to now become a leader. They're going to see that, oh, look how this person is working as a good teammate. Maybe I should be doing that. And so you're influencing them to be better workers. And ultimately, that will be recognized. You'll have people, you know, your, your bosses, your managers at work that they'll go, ah, oh, look, that person's a really good teammate. We need to promote them. And now you have the title of leader. See, the titles really don't matter. You earn titles. You're not given titles. That's one of the reasons that I tell you guys all the time, don't call me Pastor Gilbert. That title means absolutely nothing. If I'm going to be a pastor to you, that's something that's earned, not something that you just call somebody. And again, the other problem with calling somebody pastor is it sort of differentiates that, again, you think, oh, there's the special person that does everything on the list, and we just sit and soak and watch, and, you know, then we go home. That's not what a church is to be about. I'm just one part of the church. And so it's the, the same way with you. Don't worry about titles. Do all the things that would be required if you had that title. And that'll be recognized, and ultimately you'll be given that title, if that's something you even want. Again, as we conclude here today, let me just say that if you want to accomplish anything of great significance in this life, you can't do it alone. You need a team. Jesus, God in the flesh, said, I still need a team. So less of this and a lot more of this. That makes sense? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to look again at your word. And Lord, just to see how important you thought it was to assemble a team. And so certainly, Jesus, if you needed a team, we need teams in our lives as well. In our churches, in our schools, in our workplaces, on our sports teams, in our bands, whatever it is, we are better together than we are individually. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look in our own personal lives of the areas where we have influence, where we have leadership in our parenting, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, and at our workplace, wherever it is, that as we look at that, that we would start to surround ourselves with people that we say, you know what, that would be a good teammate. And yeah, maybe they're the most talented or the smartest or the most athletic, but man, they are a really good teammate. And I want to I surround myself with that person. And then together, you would surround yourselves with others. And Lord, we would see that life truly is better when we do it together. And so Lord, I pray for all of us to be assembling those teams in every area of our lives. And Lord, for those here at Exponential, if they're not a part of a life group, that they would get a part of one. 
because we can't be your church here to the Harrisburg community and the Hagerstown community and to all the people of the world. We can't be your church, your, your salt and light to them for trying to do it as Lone Ranger Christians. No, we need to do it together. So Lord, help us each to understand where we're uniquely gifted in our skills and abilities and talents that we can then offer that then to the larger team and use it for your honor and for your glory. Jesus, I, I thank you for those here at Exponential and the ways that they help me because I can't do it alone. This isn't my church. This is your church, and you have called your church to be your body, your representation to this Harrisburg community and to the rest of the world. And so help us to work together cohesively in unity to go out and be your hands and to be your feet, to be your mouth to a lost and hurting world. Jesus, use us just like you use the 12 idiots to make an amazing difference for your kingdom and for your glory and for your honor. And I pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.